giving you that sweet description of Bloomington, Indiana tundra you didn't know you needed. It's V'ger, please. Briefly, once again, a hateful journey through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm so excited to be talking about something way better than season one of Enterprise. Your co-host, Peter. And Peter, uh, generally we review things, but this time we've... We've pivoted away from our comfort zone, and we have decided instead to offer a uh, an invitation on our on our on our journey to a fellow traveler, uh, specifically Jonathan of Voyager season eight fame. Jonathan, hello, hello guys, how's it going? It's good to be able to talk to you on uh, on this show. Uh, I've been a, a a guest of Jonathan's a couple times talking about strange new worlds and all kinds of other topics. Uh, so thanks for for taking this up on the offer to talk about obviously the the project that's nearest and dearest to our hearts that you work on, which is a fantastic uh, audio drama version of your creative vision of Voyagers season eight. Is that a fair way to describe it for sure yes uh joe's been talking about season eight voyager for a long time and looking at the podcast release schedule it looks like you put out your first episode october 28th 2020 it took me a long time to take joe's advice to heart and and once i did i saw uh that he wasn't bullshitting and it's rare that we've done anything like this before. So uh, I Joe, myself, we've thought so highly of the product that we're, we're really leaning in hard on this and very excited to have you. I've got a ton of questions that uh, I came up with while while watching. So this isn't just an interview. This is this is partially a review, too. But before we get into your work with season eight itself. I, I wanted to ask some questions and, and just figure out who you are exactly. I, first of all, where did you grow up? I grew up actually in Hong Kong, where I'm back now, and then in Spain, and then in England. So I've, I've been around a bit. Wow, I grew up in Cleveland. No. <laughs> <laughs> that was considered exotic because the lake that gets set on fire is there. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. <laughs> So it's interesting and that that's that's that overseas travel mentality that we just do not have stateside here. Um, And along those same lines, somehow, some way we ourselves have ended up with a pretty sizable international audience. And it's so interesting to me to hear about their experiences, how Star Trek has touched their lives, uh, what their what it was like growing up with Trek abroad. Uh, How did you find Star Trek? I think it was either Star Trek 2 or Star Trek 3, watching the movie on television with my dad. This must have been obviously mid-80s, and I barely remember it, but there was enough there that when the TV show started, TNG, that's that's my beginning with Star Trek, where I actually remember it in its entirety, and it blossomed from there. But when you talk about perspective... Over here, or sorry, over in the UK, where I was at the time, we didn't get adverts. It was on the BBC, for example. So we had it free of any commercial sort of pimping. And TOS was barely on. So I didn't grow up with TOS. But but there were some odd episodes. I think I remember the Gorn episode, but nothing that would uh, sort of anchor me 
to this franchise. It was TNG first. What did Star Trek mean in the UK? Like, was it popular? Was it like a fringe whatever thing? Was there like a little cult? You know, most people didn't really talk about it. Uh, in fact, I think at school, people took the piss out of me for being a tracker, like a geek, well, a nerd. D- don't worry, that happened here too. <laughs> <laughs> no, so that so that was it really, but I didn't care. I, I still liked I still liked the product and uh, I continued watching it. And then, then I had a few friends who joined me and things got, my life got easier. <laughs> what are you talking like uh, high school or was this like? Yeah, secondary school, earlier? yeah. What's, a, what's secondary school mean oh, exactly? Secondary is... I, so, okay, so I don't understand your grading system either. So I'll just give you the age range. Yeah, wh- so whatever. You, you Hogwarts motherfucker. <laughs> you just you could just be making shit up. We're going to believe you anyway. So go ahead. From the age of 12 to 16, 17 is secondary school. Okay, so middle... So, so that's just typically junior high, high school. Okay. Kind of like they are equipment. And sure. at the time, I remember a shop called BT's. Only UK people will know this for sure. And BT's would stock the action figures and the the large electronic models. Well, back in the Enterprise D, you had the four buttons you could the press. Playmates, with four yeah. different, you had that, and uh, that was about it, really, for toys. Unless I went to a convention, which I did once in in the little town that I was living in at the time. Oh, tell I met, me about that. Well, I met. I met Dwight Schultz. Is it Dwight Schultz? The guy yeah. played Barkley? Yeah, I met him yeah. there. Asshole. And I met Eric <laughs> Munyok, the guy who played the Traveler. Okay. Mm. Met him as well. Really nice guy. And <laughs> it was a mix of Star Trek and Star Wars. So there was obviously Kenny Baker, and then the guy who played Boba Fett, the older guy who played Boba Fett, and then the guy who played uh, Pinhead in Hellraiser. He just turned up. That he was there for Fucking some reason. Nice. That, that, that guy shows up to everything, <laughs> apparently. Like, right. you, you've got $15. He's going to show up to your convention. Oh. Did you go to well, that with your dad? Did you go to that with your friends? By myself. That's how, wow. that's how uninterested other people were. But saying that, one of my other friends who we had, we had, we used to play the collectible card game, the Star Trek collectible the card CCG, game. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And on the second or third day, because I went for all the days, he snuck in to do some trades, and then we we just, as we say in English, dust around for a bit in the in the shop area. So why Voyager? Okay, I understand you, you're you're you got <laughs> into it with TNG. You, you share that with Peter, by the way, right? Uh, so Voyager, though, this is the one where you have a creative vision where you you saw something, and certainly we're going to be getting into that. Right. In 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 that to, you're like I want to devote myself to doing an audio drama version of another season of the show. So clearly you watched Voyager. How did you find that show? How did how 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 did you connect with it so deeply? Okay, I I was on the Nerd Poriel podcast on his YouTube channel last week, and he was a bit upset or it was a bit miffed that I would categorize Voyager as third out of TNG and DS9, and Enterprise is fourth for me. And that's entirely fair. <laughs> again, again, to me, TOS, I don't think should be ranked with the other four from Classic Trek because it's, it's, it's another problem. generation away. Yeah, it's yeah. different. And so it's a special thing on itself. And only now am I watching it with uh, my partner, like in its entirety on Netflix, because we still have it here on that streaming platform. But Voyager uh, annoyed me when I was 20 years old. It annoys me now. And there was just this puzzle of wanting to know more about what happened after the Dominion War. 
DS9 is my favorite series. Some people say DS9 is the best... Uh, what did they say? No, TNG is the best Star Trek show. TNG is the best TV show. Or DS9 Those is the, the best TV show. Right, because it's, it's, it's playing with the product a little bit. And Voyager is seen as a sort of going back to its roots, and it was a, a reaction to DS9. I liked DS9 more. And I didn't really get into Voyager at the time. I think I drifted off after after the Borg were introduced because I thought the Borg were getting lame. And you know, spoiler, so- spoiler alert! You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but there was a level of quality that I could perceive, even as a teenager, inside DS9 that just was lacking in Voyager. And so after DS9 left, I thought, oh, there's only Voyager left on TV now. Oh, that's a shame. And then I caught a few episodes, but I definitely caught the last one. But even that, having not watched this series in, in its entirety, I realized, what? This is it. You just get you just get the reveal of Earth at the end, and the ships just fade to black. <laughs> like, fuck this. <laughs> and, I was, I and at the time, because it was 20 years ago, you had to look in the TV listings. I was, I was just thinking... This is bullshit. There's got to be one more episode. So I checked the TV listings and there was nothing there. It's like, fuck you. And then just remain bitter for the last 20 years. How That's like the most British uh, proclamation that I think I've ever heard <laughs> from you. It was that specific, fuck you. So right. you started watching Voyager uh, with the premiere of Caretaker or you came into the product a little later on? Okay. It gets more complicated because when I first touched DS9, I didn't like it. I thought the uniforms were garbage, and I thought this is a fake. They are garbage. This is a, this is a fake <laughs> thing, and this just has, this has nothing to do with Babylon Five. It just didn't click with me immediately. But when I learned my lesson, by the time Caretaker came out, so I actually enjoyed Caretaker. So I had a different reaction to it. I accepted it. I was like, oh, okay, the uniforms are back. This is this is still Star Trek because we already had like two or three seasons of DS Nine anyway. When by the time mm-hmm. Voyager premiered, so I was in the beginning interested in. <clears throat> Voyager more so than when, relatively speaking, when DS9 first aired. So it's a bit and weird. And then when on it. Well, just after Scorpion, I think, right about season five. I think that's uh, <clears throat> would have been a great time to rage quit. And I, I think we came very close to experiencing some genuine emotions uh, based on Janeway's decision there. So you gave it a pretty fair shake. It's not like you were completely ignorant to the product and then when did you finally decide to cycle back around and watch uh, voyager in its entirety i think after enterprise the series finished because i did watch those where they were available i sort of gave gave up on star trek actually and then the 2009 movie i was like oh oh star trek's coming back and i watched it and i I do like the first movie it's still it's not good but it's the best out of the three i think but Uh, beyond better in my opinion by far Okay. If I don't think um, ever given it a shot, but it, I understand people not watching Beyond because Into Darkness like literally ripped your heart out and then like made you eat it in front of it. So like, you know, most people well, took a, a pass on Beyond. <laughs> if you, I know, I did watch Beyond. It is better than the second one, but the the thing is with the first one, I I can accept it because it's setting everything up and it didn't it doesn't need that message that the others might have were uh, earned or used or set up, you know, Star Trek's one through 10, I guess there is, there is a sort of message there. And the first one is, is just getting the crew up. And so I can allow the story to be a little bit simpler, but once you get into the second one and you have the reveal, it's like, who's this reveal for? Because if you're new to Star Trek, you don't know who it is. And if you, 
aren't new new to Star Trek, then you know who it is, and it, who you do. I just don't. I just didn't get it. And then the third one, they really ruined it for me with playing the Beastie Boys. It just yeah, took me strange. out. It just took me out of it. Now I understand that had some reshoots, and so there are some scenes at the beginning where Kirk is sort of upset with his career, but you're doing a disservice to Kirk. I understand it's character drama, but it it feels like a bit of backpedaling. I don't want to review review it too much, and and the city as well, Yorktown was it's like this isn't this doesn't fit the aesthetic of of Star Trek. It's so none of the movies are good. I'm just saying Beyond is the one that felt yeah. most like Star Trek. But what really brought me back into Star Trek was watching Picard season one, and I was so angry, more angry than I was with Endgame. I actually took it to Twitter and I and I had it out with. Uh, well, I say I had it out, but I I tweeted at Michael Shabong for for his writing and. People were saying, oh, he's also a science fiction writer of books. And I was like, really? So if this is my introduction to him, he is not, he's not uh, putting his... Dude has like a Nobel Prize. Like he's, he's a very well-credentialed writer. And apparently that still means you can make dog shit television. I mean, Picard season one is definitely where Peter and I recorded our angriest audio tracks. <laughs> and some of our funniest it. shit. Like, I, was, I was there for I, it. We were so incandescent with rage. It made us very funny, but also like if you if you didn't want to have two old nerds yell at you for an hour, uh, perhaps not the kind of program that you wanted to listen to. So we just bailed on the whole show to sort of yeah. reset ourselves. But it that that rage brought you back into Trek? Just because you wanted to yes. yell at Michael Chabon on the internet? Like so- the origin story of this <laughs> podcast is deep. <laughs> <laughs> but so it's for two reasons. One, Endgame it left us with well, left us all collectively with an unsatisfying taste in our mouths. And then Michael Shabong getting up and saying, "Yeah, this is this is the new Star Trek." And yet, I actually don't know what Star Trek is. If if we get into his mind, this is Star Trek, but I don't know what Star Trek is. So I said to him, "My guy, this this is just not good." And I'm going to write something that's even better, you know, with the whole blackjack and hookers thing. And he said, "Just good luck to you then." And that was it. So I took his negative. Uh, work ethic and turned into a positive and here we are <laughs> so you watch the 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 first jj abrams kelvin verse entry that kind of reignited things a little bit did you watch voyager in its entirety between that and picard or then did you watch picard say this sucks let me give voyager another shake yes so i went back and with a fresh pair of eyes i binged watched voyager and i thought oh my god the heart of star trek is here still not as i mean i knew it wasn't it wasn't astronomically better but i knew the heart of star trek existed inside that show and then i binge watched enterprise again as well because i didn't really give that all the episodes you know uh a watch and i thought oh it's just nice to be back with what made star trek star trek so we joe and i have put a lot of time into star trek voyager way more time i i argue than was ever meant for any star trek show to to be digested and under a microscope. And again, by the time TNG came out, like everybody knew what a, what a Trekkie is and, and the, the piss, the Trekkies take out of anything that goes on uh, the screen with the star Trek title. Like you're not dealing with a casual property. Mm-mm. TNG discovered it. And, and from DS from TNG to DS nine and especially to Voyager, the enterprise, like everybody knows goddamn well what they're signing up for. And I think even still, that was all pre-podcast and this entire culture that sprung up around just micro dissecting and being merciless 
in discussion on these things. Most of that stuff, Stephen, still like basically pre-Web 2.0, right? So even with Joe and I putting the amount of time in, like I have to ask you, having listened to all of the material that you've released so far to the detail you have and the level of personal professionalism, what in God's green earth could possibly motivate you to put the time and effort into making something that quality for an unloved child of Star Trek? Uh, Joe and I putting the time in that we have covering it, even our connection to the property, taking on a task like this seems so completely unjustified like such a gift to something that is so undeserving. Yeah, it, to, to be clear, Peter and I recorded almost 200 episodes about Voyager. And even he and I would look at what you're doing and say, absolutely no fucking way we're ever going to put that much effort into this goddamn show. So <laughs> I, I co-sign Peter's comments and I give you the floor, Jonathan. Fucking explain yourself, sir. Okay. Well, I did say to Michael Shabong, I did, well, sorry, I mean, you can edit this out. I did say to Michael Shabong, I'm going to write something better and I'm putting my money and my effort where my mouth is. And sometimes that's a DM or that's just a reply. To that's on, that's publicly on Twitter. And then I chased him on mm-hmm. Instagram as well, but to his credit, he never blocked me or <laughs> anything like that. Uh, and then he personally replied to you. Yeah. Uh, on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> he just said, you know, he was doing what Terry Metalis isn't doing and he, and he's getting a bit of stick for it where he just responded positively cordially and that's it you don't you don't block and you don't attack the fans back so i respect michael for that and with this work that i'm the way i'm writing it i mean you're gonna you're not gonna like this joseph but i was editing the very first chapter in the very first episode last night again i was downsizing the words yeah you're right i don't fucking like it right right right, right. you're absolutely correct we'll get into how much i don't like that in, in due course sir but the jonathan the jr martin of uh, voyager over here yeah. <laughs> so let's let's be the, let's be clear here. Let's be clear. Hold on before you continue. Uh, You're okay. saying you you are motivated out of spite. Partially out of spite and being unsatisfied. If you're going to re-edit the first episode, it needs to be uh, I dedicate this to Michael Jabon. Fuck you. That's a good point. I should put it in the credits actually. Mhm. We're about to get into discussing the show itself. So if you have listened to the first 20 or so minutes of this show and you find the praise that Peter and I have have forced upon Jonathan to be intriguing, uh, you should be intrigued and you should stop right now and listen to at a minimum the entirety of the five completed episodes of Voyager season eight that are out there. And to my knowledge, Jonathan, they can be found anywhere. Podcasts can be found. I listen to it on on Spotify, uh, but I assume it's everywhere. Apple Podcasts, uh, Google, whatever, Stitcher, it's everywhere, right? Yeah. Uh, before, you're going to have to do some editing and put this back in, but to finish Peter's question, I wrote Voyager because, one, I wanted to finish it, and two, I wanted to know what happened after Nemesis, what happened in that post-Dominion War setting, and ultimately, what is Voyager coming back to? Oh, no, I'm not going to edit that. We're going to leave that error oh. in because it's real. Oh, uh, okay. okay. It, says, it gives a texture. Oh, but the irony. <laughs> the irony of an error. There we go. <laughs> but but seriously, we're about to get into to okay, spoilers. Spoiler yeah, download the show. Listen to it. It's great. And uh, there you go. You've been warned. Um, so, Jonathan, the level of detail that you put into 
the the dialogue, the descriptions, just the little things throughout the entirety of your your five finished episodes so far is uh, just amazing. Um, from Tuvok having a, a, a offhanded thought about how he can really smell this terrible dish Chell made because he can't use numbing agents right now because he's got a brain disease uh, to, you know, having an admiral be briefing, you know, uh, uh, some students about the state of interstellar diplomacy after, you know, they had to put the female changeling on trial and that the Dominion could just show back up any time. And, you know, what the fuck are we going to do about it? You know, like you... It's almost encyclopedic, the level of things that you were remembering to do in it. To that end, I was sitting there listening to the first episode, and I'm thinking to myself, you put more level of detail and thought uh, into Janeway leaving to see Tom's kid, uh, which is like within the first 10 minutes of the episode. Yeah. Then I feel like the showrunners put consideration for the last three seasons combined. And I guess that's the difference between like really understanding a product. God forbid, having gone through and like watched four episodes before whatever episode you're going to be writing and go in there as someone who isn't just punching a time clock to get a paycheck. Sure. Well, it's truly a passion project. You can, that's what you're alluding to, I guess, because I'm putting everything in this. Yeah. I guess my, my question was, do how do you, how do you get to the spot where you're like, I have to like, would you have like reference material? Like, how are you making sure you're hitting your marks on this stuff? Like, it's just, even someone who cares, it's like, you really want to like put the level of detail in what's your process for making sure you're like, yes, I'm going to make this feel extremely lived in and authentic to its universe. Uh, well, a lot of credit goes to memory alpha for supplying all the information that I need. If you're talking about encyclopedia, I really, I really am data mining that, um, but it's just it just comes from wanting to know more about the characters. That if you're writing, you've got to stay true to characters anyway. So I just focused on those characters, drew out a sort of Marvel esque Phase One, Phase Two, Phase Three plan to to do we at least get an idea of an ending because I need to have an ending first and then work backwards. And then if it changes, it's okay. But at least I can see the end goal. Not necessarily know how long it's going to get there because you know it, it's the journey that matters. <laughs> but so you have a plan, but it's not super rigid, so that you can kind of like figure a few things out as you go along based on what works and what doesn't. That's right. I mean, for example, Echep, if you've both listened to the promo episode that is not released yet, I didn't know to that level of detail that we'll have Andrea Brand from the episode First Duty coming back to school Echep in experience. I didn't know that was going to happen. But I knew Echep was going to go to Starfleet Academy. But it was like a perfect detail because she showed up in episode five, right? The most recent one that's actually yes. out there. Because, of course, she would have been the admiral who was also there when Tom Paris was there and getting in his, his shit into trouble. You know, like that would have been the person that was there. And then you remembered to think of like, what would have happened after Admiral Layton's coup? How was she involved? Red Squad worked for her. Like... You thought of all of that. It's well, in there. Yes. I mean, one, it builds off all the, the, what we're talking about with the admirals. That builds off the idea that Owen Paris is schmoozing with all the other admirals on Earth. And Star Trek has oh. never sort of explored, well, what do all the admirals do on Earth? 
And so I can I can see around and eat bugs that burrow into the back of their neck so they can (laughs) overthrow the Federation. Right. Right. Besides, they commit a little bit of light treason now and then. But you haven't watched DS9 yet. (laughs) But I can imagine Tom. I can imagine Tom growing up around these admirals, so therefore he knows all the admirals that we already know as well. But when it comes to Andrea Andrea Brand, the Beta Canon tells me what she did in the box. And so I just said, well, I like beta canon. As long as it doesn't conflict with alpha, the the prime canon, then I'll include it. And so that's where you get her second name. That's where you get the idea that she quit after Red Squad, uh, did their thing in Admiral Layton's coup, things like that. That that is all fed in from other sources. And I've just brought it together to make it a sort of cohesive through line for some of these characters that we haven't done. They haven't died, but uh, are, I'm going to assume are there, and then I can use them in my story. So a specific detail, by the way, that I've liked with the whole Owen Paris, Tom Paris angle is really emphasizing that Tom is a child of privilege, that he has had as a glide path to life and how much easy his experience has been so far in the season eight versus almost everyone else, because his dad's Admiral Paris so, of course, he's, you know, he, he's keeping his job. No one's giving him any grief. There's no, like, talk of, like, oh, we're going to throw you back in jail. Or you're like, no, of course, everything's fine now. You know, like, it's all right there on the surface. And and you're including little touches of Bolan is sort of noticing. Yes. I'm glad you can see that. I've married into money. <laughs> like, that's that's what I've done. And, uh, you know, like, I'm sure there'll be more story as as you know, these revelations become more apparent and, and that you show that through how everything like Owen is just obviously cleared a path for his boy. Like there's going to be no problems where he's got a second, he's got a third chance now and it's going to be fine. And it's going to be fine. Cause I'm fucking Admiral Owen Paris. <laughs> and you don't say that, but it is evident in how everyone reacts to Tom. Yes. So as you start touching on some of this, uh, memory beta and this secondary material overall uh have there been any like just flat out bad plots notorious actions or silly things that you've chosen to like actively avoid yes the 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 christy golden books that which are the relaunch novels they they skipped over a ton of stuff that i'm digging into they're terrible Yes. Okay. I, I'm glad you brought this up. I mentioned to Peter that I was going to mention. I I actually happened to be acquainted with Christine Gold uh, 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 Golden. She she used to play World of Warcraft on the same server I did. She actually wrote some World of Warcraft books too, and uh, I I raided with her. But and she's a very nice person. But she th- those fucking Voyager books, the farthest shore and and Homecoming, I think are the two. I've read them both. It is, it's like they get back to Earth and everyone is cool. Like all the Maquis, you get to stay in Starfleet. All of those Equinox Helltech engineers, you're forgiven. Your parents are here. Every, everybody, guess what? It's double promotion time. Hand jobs all around. Look at you, Lieutenant Commander Paris. Like it's, it's like absurd. The level of just J.O. fantasy room those books end up being and then there's like some like crappy b plot about a little like borg problem that they end up just sorting out you know it's like 
this makes no sense. This is not how this would have gone. This is fan fiction. And the fact that your starts off with everyone's happy. Here's the party. And then we're going to have some fucking realness immediately here. here the Maquis, they're not in Starfleet. They get to go home. They're not, they're not going to some crazy stuff. They're not going to prison, but they're, they're not, they don't get like Starfleet careers now. That's not how this fucking works. Like, God, I fucking hate those books. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> so to answer, to answer Peter's question, I, I've said a few times, I will not do end of the world cataclysmic events. So the Borg are not in this. And I want uh, purely character driven stories. But I don't like how the books uh, dispense with the Maki. I think that is super interesting. And it's kind of ironic that the relaunch novels that have basically a bigger budget to talk about these things sidestepped it and said, we're, st- we're still not going to do anything with the marquee. We didn't do it in a TV show, and we're not going to do it in the books. And to me, that is a crime. I've always been fascinated it's by Major Kira. the juiciest Kira. part of the entire uh, right. premise of Voyager. So it has yeah. to matter now. I've, I've always been fascinated by Kira because she was a terrorist, and they dealt with her. She's probably the greatest character in Star Trek. I was going to say female character, but I don't want to split it down gender lines. But she's one of the greatest characters where she's got basically an almost finished story from you know from the beginning of the even before the series starts because of her backstory and then how it ends as well and this idea of what it is to be a terrorist or ex-terrorist is i just think fascinating and not really explored in contemporary culture unless you watch uh, homeland which i've only watched the first couple of episodes of anyway but this idea that you can be a terrorist and a hero at the same time or you're a hero, but you're a terrorist. There's this just duality that even uh, Matthew Brod- uh, Broderick, is it Broderick from Full Metal Jacket, tried to explain to a, a, a two-star general, and the general just didn't get it. And that is sort of symptomatic of, I think, a lot of us when we consume the media, that we're not allowed these dualities. Game of Thrones went there for, in some small part to this duality, but otherwise, this is what I want to explore because I'm also curious myself. Um, so the Maki storyline is getting picked up. Uh, no Borg. And what was the other one? The the other part of your question was to say, uh, what am I not picking up? Romance. I'm not doing a lot of romance. And and that's, that's the one that stands out to me. Because when I think of uh, notorious actions, silly things, bad plots, right up front and center is the ridiculous decision to last minute try and jam Chakotay and Seven and Nine together. Which, in the first episode, as Chakotay's sitting there flying Voyager in on the horizon, like he's got a million and one things going through his head. Uh, am I going to get thrown in the brick? What's going to happen to my own old crew? And then he starts thinking about Seven of Nine, and I'm like, ah, oh, damn, I completely forgot that happened. Like, how tempting was it just to be like, no, that's going in the trash. Oh, it is going in the trash. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've said this before, but I get a lot of JC shippers who come across the podcast and they might not listen to it, but they do say, are you going to split up uh, Chakotay and Seven? Th- that's how strongly passionate they are, even if they don't listen. They still need to know, are, they gonna, are you going to keep them together? And that's one thing that the Christie Golden books did, although I don't like the way they did it. It was just, it was like, you bring them all back and Landouts get them to do the next thing because the consequences of them coming back doesn't matter. And I hated that. And oh, I yeah. want to say I mean, there are consequences. 
some of these stories are, are have a slow burn. The Balana thing you've picked up on is a slow burn. Other things like what's going to happen to Chakotay in episode six, that just turns on a dime for him. Okay? Because he's in Ohio. He's in your state. He's, uh, it, he's, a, he's enjoying the of the land. <laughs> and it's a dark and terrible place. So the fact that he would he would meet it meet his fate here is a very uh, very appropriate. Um, love the direction you're going with the doctor stuff. Uh, kind of felt like that was what was going to happen based on little hints you put in of like he was requisitioned by Reg. You know, there was some like yeah. little little hints of dehumanization and and that, and then the fact that it just you you think it's going to be that he gets his his uh, mobile emitter taken away and then you, you have it given back to him like, Oh, okay. Maybe it's not going to be this way. And then the very next scene, Admiral Fuckface is like, no, this is a fucking toaster. Get the fuck out of here. I don't fucking <laughs> care what other, everyone else has to say. And it's just a hundred percent like these not to be convinced, right? Like this is not a heart to be won. This is an adversary that will have to be overcome. And this man is otherwise perfectly reasonable. So you, it's not like he's secretly, like Admiral What's His Nuts from the Pegasus, where he's got some fatal flaw that's going to let you Eric escape Pressman. his wrath. Pressman, yeah. yeah. Like this guy, this guy is uh, he's just he's fucking racist against fucking holograms. He doesn't it, give a he's shit. He's not though, and like that's what I thought was cool. Like I love all the Doctor Reginald Barkley stuff. I love pairing those guys together. I think that you've captured the essence of both of their characters really well, and I like how. Uh, you're illustrating that both of them basically have to perpetually work to justify themselves to their to the people around them. That's interesting. Uh, okay. It's not easy for either. And they're both constantly working to to self-validate. Um, but like, uh, what's his name? Katana, was that it? Who? The Admiral that's... Uh, Admiral Fuckface. <laughs> You know, I haven't touched... Joseph will be happy to hear this, but I haven't touched episode four in Yonks. So his name is Admiral Katanis Den, Katanis. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Admiral um, Katanis. Admiral Curry. Admiral Curry Katanis Den. Some some weird long name. Yeah, okay. Admiral Curry, for it, sure. So. <laughs> I was just going with Katana, <laughs> but, you know, the, this anti-AI angle he has, and that is something that we have talked about so much. The, the viewer has been there for this journey for the EMH into personhood. And the Voyager viewer knows that, yeah, the EMH is a real guy. These guys back in Starfleet, like, it, and again, at a level that you would never see in Voyager itself, where God forbid anybody is aware of anything that ever happened before Moriarty, some of these other programs, like, the sentience is not that unique. And the problems that get arisen the doctor's little stint trying to get his hollow novel yanked the, the problems ethically that this causes for Starfleet and the inclination this guy has to just put his foot down hard and say, like, I've thought about this to a degree that nobody here can truly realize in the end, this is the way it needs to be. This is the way it will be. You are property. End of discussion. It, and it's justified. It's mm-hmm. not doesn't feel good. Yeah. I didn't say racist to say like get to, to say that it's not right from this character's perspective. And the way you've just phrased it, Peter, is absolutely correct. Like it plays into your sympathy as a Voyager fan of you know that this is a sentient being by any reasonable definition of it therein. 
and him being treated as nothing more than an appliance, in fact, perhaps a troublesome one that needs to be disposed of as soon as possible, uh, is is a perfect gut punch, particularly in the scene he is disposed of. He doesn't get to say anything. He is, in fact, your narration is specifically de- dehumanizing of him because it seems to be more from the perspective of Admiral Fuckface uh, than anyone else. And it's like, that's such a cool touch, right? Like you went from a scene where you were from the doctor's perspective and, you know, getting his, his uh, mobile emitter back right into uh, basically him being treated like a toaster and being thought of as one by the perspective of the narration. Yes. Well, that's just the same as his own creator as well. So it's, it's entirely valid, but this might be a little bit spoiler. So I'll just touch on it. But Admiral Katanis Den Curry is not a villain. That's all I'm going to say. He's not. Well, until, he's not, a bad, until he's not a bad guy. Okay. Until proven otherwise, he's Admiral Fuckface to me. And then, okay. That's Disres- what I'm saying. Max disrespect to the Doctor isn't. He didn't yeah. come off as a villain because there are so many um, strings that are attached to acknowledging the Doctor as as a sentient person and everything else, like. All the decisions make sense and I can feel good about like, again, they're not warm, fuzzy feelings, but like it all makes great sense. And tied in with all of that, I loved the amount of attention that you put on the hollow emitter, which is just this bonkers piece of what, 29th century, right? Uh, Hyper technology that they've just been so fucking casual about through the entire series and, and anything that I've ever had to say about it, I feel like the Starfleet R&D guys captured in their conversations regarding it. Okay, thanks. The, the beta canon has more to say about it in so much as... Because if you go back to the very first chapter in the very first episode, which I edited last night, so it's fresh in my mind again, Janeway talks about why were they allowed to come back? Because she was dealing with two time travelers, Q and Captain Braxton. And so why would they, well, why would Captain Braxton specifically have always allowed them to have that hollow emitter? And so I'm going to answer that question because it does seem like a plot hole if you're trying to be the Federation from the future upholding the uh, Temporal Prime Directive. Okay. Yeah, like you hint, you hinted at it, by, I think, by making sure to mention transparent aluminum a couple times. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I think that was why, like, here's a little reminder to an audience that should know. That sometimes these causality loops occur in terms of why technology is the way it is. Sure. And yeah. Well, it's not just Braxton that, you know, it's not just the hollow emitter that she was allowed to have. It's all of this other technology that Admiral Janeway came back and gave him on a silver platter that they're now distributing. I mean, Joe and I, when we watched uh, Endgame, the, the best we could come up with to save that is that Q has obviously been involved in this and maybe Q just counter spelled uh time police away and let it happen and that's that but i'll be very interested if you were able to somehow finesse a cohesive answer out of just uh ugly plot holes that the the script writers left do you, behind on it do you want to know what i'm doing with all that technology because no, i've no. Get it in no nice i don't want to do shit oh you don't want to bro okay no <laughs> this shit's too so, good to be the, spoiled okay thank you i will i will say without spoiling the, the issue of Voyager coming back with future technology is a plot point. But as you know, I've removed Voyager and I've removed Janeway for the time being. When when Janeway comes back, we'll have that discussion. 
Yeah, you've said obviously in the past you're you're honoring the overall canon position of things, which is you know you kind of know Janeway's gonna get out of this an admiral, so it can't all go poorly. And and I'm I'm sure there is some kind of of consequence yet recognition in in all of this, and we're all excited to see how it works. But I just want to say thank you for making sure Ayala got lines. And he beamed out of the fucking he beamed out of the fucking story in his goddamn catcher's outfit, and you made a point of mentioning that he had that outfit on. No, that was a thank you to you for your Voyager efforts. I felt I felt seen, Jonathan. I felt seen in that moment, and I just want you to know that I I I, I felt I felt what you were trying to transmit. But did you notice that he gets he gets basically the the biggest happy ending so far? Yeah, he gets to go back to his okay. wife and kids and shit. Like, you know, Unlike like poor Carrie. <laughs> right. Him and Crewman Mortimer get, get their get their happy endings. Oh, and I I I, I did like that you um, spent some time with, and combined the lowest decks and space friendship as magic teams into a single <laughs> into a single story unit. All the like misfits are all hanging out. And they're like, let's all go to Bajor together. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> like, they're perfect. Like, okay, like they all got to go do something, right? Well, this sounds perfectly logical place to go. Half of them are Bajoran to begin with. Some of them that are still paired up are paired up. I like that. That was really cool. The most important part of that story for me uh, is the... Which episode are you talking about? Sorry. It's sort of been f- three or four. I forget where you did the the uh, the well, shipping ma- off. The ma- the oh, uh, starts it with, starts with number two, episode two, because having the yeah, first three, uh, the breakfast, and it goes and it goes into three. So yeah. everything comes so fast and hard in that first episode that you did, and that's really what hooked me. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll give this a little bit. You know, I'll give most podcasts that one episode. Um, the thank you problem that I ran into with the first episode was that you were hitting such high notes so rapid fire i found myself like just perpetually pausing the podcast and trying to like let this crazy shit that just happened sink in and be like man this is massive and then the, the other part of my mind's like this all makes perfect sense like the, the, this is wild plot developing at an appropriate pace and it's all thought out it all works well um and as like they're kind of racing through it, these huge developments going on, uh, the party that they're having in 10 Ford with people's families and stuff showing up. And then the sudden souring as uh, all the Maquis are discharged. Right. And just kind of like this action by Starfleet, like, well, we're not going to throw you in space jail, but uh, you're certainly not going to be celebrated as heroes wearing those uniforms. Like get the fuck out. Uh, this is the best off you're going to get and it's never going to be this good again. And these guys like just that punch to the gut, like we were, we were just, we were hoping for the best. We were also kind of expecting to be carted out Chakotay being there to guide these guys and say like, this is a great offer. We're going to do this. Just fucking deal with it and go. And all of a sudden, like, and this is what I really loved was uh, while they're boarding that transport, we see that uh, Starfleet has made good on its promise that like all is forgiven. 
just go and going from being these wanted, the most wanted fugitives in the galaxy, you know, the, the Voyager was sent out to pick him up. And now literally nobody gives a shit about you to the point where you're just getting on your civilian transport to go off and like almost feeling a little uh, sour and um, butthurt that there's no reason to look over your shoulder. Like I used to be a badass space terrorist and now I'm just a regular jerk off. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, perspective. I, I like this kind of feedback because you're you're using you're using words that I would never have uh, thought of in that moment. But uh, yeah, I just like your interpretation. But can I go back to what you felt was uh, you felt like when you said you had to pause the podcast? What was when you're talking about pace? To me, the episode goes very slowly, so it's interesting to I, I just like to oh, know no. more about uh-uh. how you felt it was going like click 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 click. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm saying yeah, yeah, no, no, like, yeah, yeah. It, it was so good that I'm like, all right, I'm going to listen to all like, this guy has a level of subject material mastery and it is being presented well. And like, again, like I said, more more thought went into Janeway going down to visit Tom and Bellana's kid, uh, more care and, and passion in presenting that than I could say any 10 episodes put together were usually able to capture so having watched as much Voyager and talked about Voyager as much as we did, hearing you just move through these points and just everything hitting at a 10, uh, yeah, just pausing it to like let it sink in and really uh, process what was happening. I told you I wasn't full of shit when I was recommending it, Peter. I'm just glad, <laughs> you're, glad you're just validating me like this. And it was just as good as I told you it was. It's it, it is interesting. <laughs> it is interesting to hear, and, and I know even if you were critical, I would try and find a positive anyway. Oh, we'll be critical in about like three minutes. Oh, okay, <laughs> but the this is feature, please. You're going to take some shit. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> I, I I like I like the rough with the smooth, uh, as she said. the The idea that you feeling like you need to pause is really interesting because I'm creating it. And I'm operating on a different level to to everything else because I get to, what's the word, format it and then write it down. So I take my time with it. So I get bored with it maybe. Um, but somebody said to me, you're not holding back with the story. You're not holding anybody's hand to say, well, this is how Lieutenant Carrie died. This is why Q is here. Mm-hmm. I'm working on the assumption that everyone who's going to listen to season eight has watched at least Endgame. Or that's cr- absolutely of, that's is absolutely correct right because otherwise it would get like, bogged down so i can i can understand where you're coming from but when you've reviewed it yourself to the degree that you have that still surprises me and you're not you're not a casual viewer you're not a casual fan anybody well, who makes it's because a podcast, i want to enjoy it i mean you, yeah yeah you're giving me what i want and and it's like you said we're not trying to pad it out so we can get as many episodes as possible the, the first couple episodes especially it isn't until paris dice that things really start to slow down where there's like super heavy um, uh, hanging out in a certain scene like that, that initial flight from Voyager towards earth, just like a million things firing off at once. And I'm not saying it's like disruptive or uh, it was a bad list. And I'm just saying that it was, it was so good. I wanted to savor every piece and never, ever touch that first episode again. Absolutely do not put the pauses in to kind of catch breath there, because I think that's really what made it, uh, a great introduction is that you're just able to to bullseye stuff repeatedly like that. Um, we could praise you and speak to the quality 
and drill down on the incredible attention, the detail and absolutely fantastic literary level authorship that you are providing to this product. Not to mention if the fit and finish on the, on the, on the actual episodes, it's fantastic. Nice sound effects, you know, just like, just all of that's great. Uh, but we've already been praising you for like nearly an hour and it's time we break your balls a little bit. Well, okay. I got one more praise I, I want to throw out there before. Okay. We okay. Hold on. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, the Maquis storyline developing there. I, you bringing up the Equinox crew members was such a good blast from the past. And it's just a clear example of like, <laughs> those motherfuckers are in jail. <laughs> like, like, like this is as good as it gets. Uh, be, be happy to trade off your infamy for unremarkableness because these other guys uh, who are killing the space kitties, like they're already off in handcuffs. Like that's, that should be us. It isn't get moving. And I almost kind of hope you, you do follow up and touch on those guys and see what happens there. But just like all uh, the bases getting covered. Somebody said I should, but I will for one of them. I will for one of them. But in that scene that you're talking about, I wanted a point of comparison to say, this is how right. good they've got it. Yeah, can I make a screwed? I'm going to make a prediction. Uh, one of them is going to show back up because Lessing is going to uh, testify against Janeway at this court martial <laughs> because he was fucking tortured by her. Hit by there, her. There we go. And, and that is going there to happen because you're that kind go. of guy. You're going to fucking do that. I'm right, aren't I? I'm you fucking are. right. Okay. God damn it! Yes. I'm talking about that court martial. Like, how good was that? That you dropped the bomb on that court martial, like right in the middle of that celebratory dinner. Well, it's. Oh, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really. I can't really claim anything other than being. I can't. I can't say I'm clever or anything. I just thought, well, we've got to end it in a good way, um, where you, you can't could, have I a mean, happy th- ending. I, I, there's a there was a bunch of different ways to potentially do that because you could take the real politic approach, which which Starfleet probably wouldn't pull that trigger until like you know some PR has happened and everyone's celebrating them being home, and then you like quietly start to take care of business later on. But like the idea that like they are still shook from all the Dominion War stuff, and they had some fucking war crimes yeah. they had to fucking square away. Yeah. So there's just no tolerance for this right now because like some Starfleet people did some shit they shouldn't have done and got fucking you know got got fucking rung up for it. And so there's a lot of sensitivity about this right now. That was a great way to explain why there was no hesitation. To be like pulling Janeway's card the moment they got back. To be like. We have set new standards. You have violated many of them. <laughs> like time to time to to reckon with this officially. Yeah. I love her Did being it? crushed. Okay. Yeah. I love her just sitting depressed her. and sad in a Bloomington, Indiana home while the snow howls outside. Because she can, right? And that's as miss as many times as Janeway's been mishandled, but like her enjoying the fact that she could go off wallow feel sorry for herself and like not have to worry you know if the ship's gonna get cannibalized or sucked into a world eating monster or whatever like really she has some me time and and for the first time in a long time she can just go be sad in the corner yeah she has (laughs) we've already seen that janeway has that in her right like yes we saw that tonight well that was that was the whole if, if you're trying to visualize it in night, it's pitch black. Here, it's white. It's the whole. It's the total opposite in scene and setting. But it doesn't work because obviously it's not a visual medium as this podcast. But that's no, what no, I'm going I, for. I absolutely understand. Like it's what Peter said. She's 
a lifted. She has this emotional weight that's lifted off of her. She no longer is responsible for getting these people home. She got them home, but now she's not ballast against that requirement, and she can sulk and be yep. alone, which she has not been able to. She can just be free of the burdens of having to deal with everyone else's bullshit and just be sad for herself for a little bit. It and makes it's very human, you know. And I like the way that you convey it too, like the almost. You don't really call it out, but just the feeling of betrayal, like the sacrifices, the hardships, the sleepless nights, everything that she has done to get her people home. And like, this is the reward for her now is that first and foremost, during their fucking congratulations dinner, she's basically getting, you know, not let off in handcuffs, but like humiliated. Uh, And ultimately, we all know she's going to survive this court martial and she's going to come out of it an admiral so it's not a question as you know is she gonna go to jail or this or that but it she's going to be an admiral but like how much of the voyager janeway is going to survive that how is this going to change or is she going to come out like a bitter uh cynical uh i resent starfleet now i'm sticking with it but like you know i i got a grudge now or is the 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 Kathy Janeway that got him through the Delta Quadrant going to break out of uh, the the end decision intact. Yeah, like is it going to be a circumstance where she gets by because the crew rallies, or is it going to be that she pulls up a card moment and she explains to these people that they have fucked up and she's right and like wins them over? Either option is on the table, and that is what we will all discover together in your show, Jonathan. I guess so. But there's one advantage, by the way, to working so slowly is that I can think all of this out. So I know it frustrates you because you want more episodes. Let's talk about how fucking slowly you work, okay? Okay. Now we're getting to the (laughs) ball-breaking part of the program, okay? Are you going to give the Hamburg a method of uh, criticism? Listen, I I don't know what that is, the Hamburg method. Positive, negative, positive. No, no, it's the fuck you do more more episodes (laughs) method of criticism is what I want. Like, listen... (laughs) <laughs> bro it's been two years there's only five episodes and you spend more time re-editing your old episodes and creating new ones it feels like or giving us director's commentary or something like <laughs> I, I i love it all but at the same time get, let's get one, one more story bro like i know come on know. The, there are there are there are a couple of bottlenecks the audio commentaries are just there to keep the podcast feed alive because mm. it, it is so specific yeah. And if you've noticed, I delete episodes so that when it's finished, you only have the episode list, just like you see on Netflix. That's why I've created a second podcast to put to put it all in there and archive it on right. Star Trek Reverie. Um, I wish I could write faster. I have an editor that will take a long time, which is very she is very meticulous, and she will comb through my edit or through my drafts. So it will take. Yeah, she she. I respect her. I can't say anything bad about her because her her level of care and attention is probably greater than mine. But she, it does slow down the story, but that also allows me to stew on what I've given her so I can change it or write the next thing or do something else that I need to do in my real life because I'm not getting paid enough for this shit. <laughs> this is all volunteer work. <clears throat> Listen, I'm just saying... Uh, creating something this good and then not giving the people what they want. That's the sort of thing that, you know, 
I'm just I saying. I tried to pay you off. I tried to pay you off with the promo episode. Come on. I, you, you know, and <laughs> you get work release for that instead of going directly to jail, which uh. is what should happen. Uh, instead, instead, you get to be let out to do more episodes. Thank you, you know, this is I. If you know, I'm a gracious. I'm a gracious uh, uh, in prisoner. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get this year four episodes out. I tried to do one every quarter. But I might not be able to do that. But I might be able to get four out at some point before December ends. That's my that's my hope. Okay. Have you before... considered? Hmm? I understand you're getting us fast. I needed to rib you over the that's fact okay. that they're okay. so infrequent. Have you considered some additional voice actors? Because I feel like sometimes the only thing I get lost in is yes. switching between characters, and your narration is great. And your characterization of everyone is extremely vivid, but it can be confusing because you're voicing all the characters and your tone remains yes. neutral throughout. So what I've what I've done with the earlier with the later episodes is I've recorded the the vocals for the narration on a separate track. So the narration is a little bit lower in volume and the speaking is louder. So you've got that subconscious difference. But in the meantime, I have actually had I've actually been approached by some people to do some voice work. And so in episode one, the scene where Admiral Owen is talking to Tom in the sick bay, that is now voiced by another podcaster. So he is going to commit to doing Admiral Paris Paris now throughout. And I and the great thing is because it's written in a novelistic style, there isn't that much dialogue for other voice actors to get involved with. If you listen to nice starship excelsior it's all dialogue there's no narration if there is it's very minimal and they keep saying in the show oh lieutenant da-da-da is replaced by this guy and da-da-da-da-da is replaced by this guy because people can't commit so that's one of the reasons why i did it in in narration just in case later on there are some voice actors but i don't have to pay them that much if they are a professional because there aren't that many words and they don't have to commit so much but suit so the patreons can get that chapter now and they can hear Admiral Owen Paris now. And then there's this guy in the UK who could do some voices. And he says he knows a couple of people who've done some other Voyager audio dramas and they are going to come on board, but I need to hear back from him. So I might already have a Janeway, an Echeb, a Tom Paris. And then and the nice I thing will... doing that, you'll get their fan bases listening in as well. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, good a nice cross-pollination. Yeah, so it is the later episodes. Some people have written reviews and said, I've re-listened to the episodes over and over again. And my hope is that they'll hear the change. Oh, shit, someone else is doing it. Oh, this scene has been changed. So I'm keeping it fertile to keep the interest high. And again, I know you dislike it, but I've got to make that episode, that first episode, as best as possible because there are people like Peter who give it an episode one chance or give a show one, one, one episode chance and that's it. And I really want to... As someone who has 220 episodes of a podcast where our worst one is our first one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Feel you on that one. Yeah, you should redo it. <laughs> Maybe we should. Maybe one day we'll get around. And, you know, you can't plug it back in the beginning, but I, I have toyed with the idea of us going back and like revisiting some of the absolute worst episodes, the candy corn tragedies, and just seeing. Uh, if anything has changed for us on it. Um, speaking of the worst, if if there is anything unbelievable, ridiculous, or outlandish that your podcast has, uh, your, your story has laid out 
It is the absurd notion that anybody in their right mind could have the option to not have to fuck around with a hot water tank and would inflict themselves with that. (laughs) Admiral Chris is absolutely an insane, crazy fucking admiral. If that guy has brought that hellish piece of shit into his life. That's why he was so mean to Tom growing up and why there was so much conflict. This guy's <laughs> living in a house of junk, constantly worried if the fucking furnace is going to go out or if he's going to have to go replace his hot water tank at three in the morning because it's leaking all over the floor. Well, my idea, that, well, one, it's Commander Stephanie Paris who's fucking around with it, not so much Admiral Paris. But the idea there is to have this contrast of, and not contrast, but to discuss what would these advanced advanced humans in a 24th century Earth do with their time. We, we already see it now where people want to go back to basics. They want to go back to, instead of a smartphone, oh, yeah, they have yeah. a dumb phone. Yeah. They, they go back to these things. And so I'm trying to explore what would Federation houses, especially an Admiral's house, be like. And I'm trying to say that they're hoarders. Oh, anyway, absolutely. Tra- right? And so there are these throwbacks to this earlier culture that, we, that we're supposed to have grown up with. And that explains why Tom is so interested as well. But by hoarding. Oh, yeah. That was clearly, don't worry. You were very clear that Tom's interest in the 20th century is because of his parents. Is that beta canon or is that you creating that? I'm I'm making it. And then in return, because they think Tom's died, they're more interested in what he was interested. So it's cyclical, their interest in this throwback to an earlier time. Do you remember Demolition Man? Sorry. Do you remember Demolition Man? Yeah, I was just uh, watching clips of that. They don't know what a 183 is. They're like, what's a murder, death, kill? You know, the code name for it. Then someone says, oh, it's a murder, death, kill. And they're unable to deal with to deal with the consequences of an actual murder. There is this there is this theory or this this write-up, I don't know, I can't remember, where once we've extinguished something from our society and then it gets reintroduced, we actually lose the capability to understand how to deal with it. So you need you need certain things in our lives in order to deal with it. So if we removed all death, right, if you removed all death, then we don't understand how we deal with death. And you can see that in modern society where, especially in American society, you don't discuss death. And then there isn't that support that you should have when a death happens in the family. That's why I think stoicism is coming back. People are big into stoicism. In Hong Kong, especially in China, they have the ghost festival. So they celebrate dead people every, every year, much to my chagrin. I, I don't like it because they fucking traffic make the I, no they make the they make the air toxic because they just burn so much paper. You know the concept is that my granddad, I think it is anyway. I need to speak to my girlfriend again. But the idea is my granddad needs an iPhone, so I'm going to burn a paper representation of an iPhone. My dad, who's dead, needs a Tesla, so I'm going to burn a paper representation of a Tesla. So they just keep burning shit. And it just, yeah, anyway, that, aside, that annoyance aside, they are celebrating death. They, they, they sweep the tombs. So they deal with death in a, in a probably in a, in a better way than most Western societies do. And so I'm fascinated by this idea that if you've got a replicator, why, why just replicate what you need? Why not re- just replicate shit tons of stuff that. Well, that touches to on to a, a big conversation that Joe and I always have. And it's, you know, what is life in the post scarcity federation? Right. Uh, money, prestige, uh, you know, what still exists, what's gone, uh, the terrible job that 
Star Trek writers have done presenting this very unrealistic world. And, you know, as long as it's home only exists as a background uh, conversation point and we're focused on what's happening on this military vessel, you don't really need to push that heavy into it. But once you actually get onto Earth, start showing people's houses, why does this guy get a nice big house? Uh, why might someone else be stuck on the the ghetto of the moon, as Joe and I just discussed? <laughs> yeah, it's we we've hypothesized that all of uh, Earth's Section Eight housing, uh, as we call it in America, uh, council housing, as UK might call it, yeah, uh, is is on the moon. Right. The moon okay. is where that is, <laughs> and it, like it's the one thing that we fucking. And it's funny that we're coming around to this because something we absolutely took the piss out of out of Picard is the idea that uh, Raffi lived at Vasquez Rocks in yes. a fucking trailer. And we're like, and bitching and moaning about how rich Picard is. And I'm like, it's a post-scarcity world. There is no fucking money. This is like one of the core principles right. of Star Trek. What the fuck are you doing? And then you, you get a moment like this where you're like, well, there's only so much land still. And there's still possession like there's still ownership that still exists. Clearly, didn't get potentially nuked in a war that may or may not have been a nuclear holocaust. Right? Yeah, you're 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 a World War Three truther. In, yeah, I've in, also in Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. uh, so someone like Picard, whose family has generational ownership over a vineyard, is richer than someone like Rafi who lives at a fucking trailer at Vasquez Rocks, right? Like, yeah, even if there's no sense. money. There is someone who has generational wealth and possession and property, even if they have access to the same unlimited font of goods, right? Like, you well, just replicate I, whatever you want. I also like what you're showing in the Parises. Also, like, everything could be super easy, and I use the replicator to get my hot water, and everything else is just basically on par with what you saw in the Enterprise D. Going to, like, the Matrix, right? The first... Uh, version of the matrix was a utopia everybody had what they had uh that mm. they wanted and ultimately humanity was miserable because without suffering you can't find uh happiness Meaning. yeah and right. like okay so these guys have surrounded themselves in this nasty museum of 20th century <laughs> hot water tanks and fucking dusty curtains and all this other crap uh because they want to create a hardship and even if that hardship's just where do I put all this crap on the shelf? Um, it's it's there, and, and you see people doing it. I, I I liked when the guys were leaving the ship, and you talked about everybody going down to the, was it the replicator mats or something, and taking all their possessions from the ship, deconstructing it into the replicators mm. and storing it on ice linear chips, uh, minus stuff that they were basically scared to deconstruct in the replicator and that's like weird unique things they picked up along the way in the delta quadrant yes so having that type of convenience at your fingertips versus choosing to have a record player and some other stuff and if there's any tying into that if there's any real criticism i have of your work so far it's that uh the, that the paris episode did slow things down considerably uh, and I think the level of detail you went in, like describing like the needle going into the record, like to someone who doesn't and maybe I don't know, you've got younger viewer or listeners that it might resonate a little bit better. But anybody who grew up 
the era that we did, like it becomes very quickly uh, clear, like you're talking about a record player, like you don't have to dance around um, the the exact details of how the devices operate, especially when sitting there like chomping at the bit like, yeah, but what about Janeway? But what about like, <laughs> <laughs> like it, it, it's slow. It I'm like, oh, I, it's, it's a record player. I know. Tell me what's what's going on with uh, what's going on with Neil. God damn it. Like. Give me more. Yeah. Speaking of which. I know, I know. I wanted to, with that episode, I did want to slow things down because it's the first episode where it's focused solely on one or two characters. Balano and obviously Tom come as a package. I can't just do one without the other. And I really wanted it just to be about family, home, and set up some other things. It's a setup episode. So it's, it's going to suffer, I guess, in a sense yeah. that the first three didn't because those first three are a trilogy to just getting them off the ship and saying goodbye to Voyager. So, I can, I, yeah, I can understand that. And yes, you're right. Maybe the whole record player thing could be re-edited at a later date that doesn't interfere with Joe's sensibilities. Um, <laughs> but then, but then as, we, as this podcast exists, we're going to drift further and further away from more, well, closer and closer to more people not knowing what a record player is. But it also serves to inform Balana as well. So it's, it's doing that job which the whole episode is doing, really. Balana is being informed by her new circumstances. Stephanie's perspective, her son's perspective. She she decides to get out of meeting Andrea Brand. She ain't dealing with her perspective on things. You know, there's a bit... <laughs> so it's, it's escapism as a through line through that episode, in a way. Mm. Yeah, but, I, but I, it, is, I, it is annoying, I understand, if you want to get to Janeway, which I'm deliberately going to hold off. You're not still not going to see Janeway in episode six or episode seven. No. Don't forget, I, this I think is done in real time. So maybe I, I haven't touched on that or noticed that yet. I, I'm very in the let everyone else have some time before we return to what the real main plot is clearly going to be, which is what happens with Janeway. I think that's correct because that way, like, you get the opportunity to have, like, Bolana adjusting to the fact that she married a rich kid and, like, you know, she's a fucking hard scrabble you know, a uh, mechanic mm. that was a terrorist 10 minutes ago, you know, relatively speaking, yeah. it was an unfinished education at Starfleet. Like, and now her fucking father-in-law is an admiral. Her mother-in-law is a commander. Um, you know, her, her, really hus- like- her husband's clearly going to continue to work for the company. You know, like that is definitely <laughs> going to happen. Like, it's just, it's obviously what's going to happen. And then she's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? I'm like the trophy wife now? Like, this is a little weird. Mm, you'll say. I you would know? really like to see, even if it's just a, a passing thought in her head, but some attention called back to the prophecy that her child was going to be, like, the Klingon savior. And, like... There was a moment where that was discussed in the in the this is what's happening in the galaxy today. <laughs> like your little news report. I think it was ahead of episode four. You know, like Klingon yeah. Klingon Klingon oh, Empire yeah, yeah. wants to go to the Gamma Quadrant and collect all of those ruffians, particularly the one that got knocked <laughs> up by the Talaxian. That was the hard part for me. I, I skipped a lot of that stuff because it was uh so uh involved with what happens in DS9 and the Dominion yes. War. And I didn't want to spoil that. So, like, there was a fair amount of skipping. But I did hit that part where they're like, basically, Klingons are uh, aware of the generational ship that has become a colony out there. And, and what does it become of them? I do hope at some point, this is this is my only desire as far as, like, 
wanting to form any of your thinking. I otherwise want to merely experience what you create. You already At have, point, by the way, but I'm not going to tell you how until it's done. Okay, it. good. You know what? Great. Thank you. We okay, appreciate you. Thought, yeah. At some point, someone like everyone's dealing with all their problems and they're doing all this stuff. And at some point, someone needs to sit down in a place where they're like trying to think like some sort of restaurant or or mess hall. And someone's like, God, I really wish Neelix was here to like sit down and give me advice right now. Like, so he's not getting mentioned in the story because he's not present. And it's obvious like you can't really bring him in. That's just not like not possible. Well, probably. Isn't it though? I mean, like. With the Midas array, I, mm. I was kind of hoping that at some point there would be some sort of communication with Neelix. And oh well, yeah, okay, yeah, but I was... okay, but if I was to do that because someone else said this, the other the other guy, Nerd Poriel, said this, it's got to serve the story. Otherwise, it's sure. just it's it's just not well, going to appealing to listen to. It, it would make a lot of sense because of him being the the ambassador to the Delta Quadrant and also a character witness for for Janeway, right? Like, or you know, Janeway's like, late night confidant. I mean, how many episodes did she end up after hours in the mess hall and Neelix oh. snarfs over to her and like, you know, this is somebody who is completely removed from the situation. Like even her crew that's been dismissed, like they're still, they're, they're still in her face and she is still the captain of them. Like if, if you could either go with, she has a late night communication with Neelix and is like, I just need someone to talk to you. Or potentially even uh, she could boot back up the uh, barkeep Michael. Would be bad for him to get a little screen time. <laughs> or, you know, Who she could Michael? de-stress yeah. a little bit. With... Irish Mike, the barkeep oh, from, okay, okay, from okay. Fairhaven. Uh, the, the best unused character in all of Voyager that could have been like the guy they called in and put the mobile emitter on when yeah, he used to like doctor, I need your mobile emitter. I need to get something off my chest. For, to, for Janeway to speak to Neelix, she would need to get on board with the Midas array somehow. So that would involve Barkley. But that's going to... I mean, it's doable. I mean, if, if you call Neelix as a witness... That would be plausible. They're, they're obligated to, to make it happen because they... They have the ability to make it happen. Yes, uh, to, to to go back onto the idea of how do we live in the twenty fourth century, there is a really great book. Uh, there's two great books actually. One's called Treconomics, which explains through, I guess, his clever headcanon how all the finance operates inside and outside of the Federation. It's entirely plausible. And to sum it up quickly, it's just to say that there is a running counter on credits, which is basically uh, the what's the sugar. The what's the program they're trying to implement in Canada in a few places where they give you money for nothing? Oh, standardized uh, income. Universal UBI. Income. That's it. Yeah. So they're saying that basically all Federation citizens have running in the background this UBI system, and so it, they know where you are. That's why you can walk into Jake Cisco's, no, uh, Grandpa Cisco's, buy that fish, and the credits get transferred automatically, and you never see any cash. But then when you leave the Federation, you then have to try and find a kind of currency to operate with. That's why Federation crew members never bought drinks in Quark's bar because of the UBI system that's sort of linked in with the Bajoran uh, monetary system or something, and the Federation is just paying for it. Or he said that the holodeck is something that you pay for and the drinks are subsidized because they can be replicated anyway. So the, the cost is so infinitesimal that it's the holodecks that are making the profit for Quark. Things like that. 
but basically UBI running in the background, which is what I accept as my headcanon because the shell can't contradict it, can it? And then you do these jobs because you just love to do these jobs. I mean, that that's always the, the key part of it is that this is a utopian society. So people find uh, meaning, they find meaningful employment for themselves rather than right. uh, employment that's functioning. But it, there are these gaps in the logic where someone is a fucking barista. And it's like, I can imagine, you know, some people, like some few people across humanity who are like, I just want to be a sober bartender, you know, and that's just what their calling is, but not enough to actually have a lot of coffee shops. There'll be like eight in the whole <laughs> of earth. And we saw and them all in those. Yeah. And those are, those are the only ones because Cosmo. that's only that many people who want to be a barista. So there's a lot to unpack there and it's probably not worth getting into because it's not that interesting. It really oh, yeah. isn't like, well, Jonathan, this has been a delight. Uh, I, Peter and I could probably talk to you for another two hours, uh, but I have to edit this fucking thing. So I'm going <laughs> to cut it off now. Closing thoughts real quick. Okay. Uh, it is amazing to me how much Voyager has actually left on the table. And we have been merciless in our review. There are so many trash waste of time episodes. Looking at the seven seasons that we did get, and then looking at the amount of development that you have packed into just a couple episodes of yours. I, I think we could have probably easily cut down or Voyager's writers could have taken everything that you're doing and moved the entirety of season eight into season seven. If it didn't have the high crap content that did just choking it up and to your podcast specifically, like the amount of excitement and emotion and all of these other things that you've packed in. And it's exactly what you said. Like you're not trying to handhold people through this. Anybody who's going to a podcast for season eight of Voyager, you're not getting casuals in there. It's, it's people that know this shit inside and out. Right. And they're ready for I hope this. So. Uh, yeah. and, and to take little plot points and, and turn them into major stuff like Janeway's announced court martial uh katana's stating the doctor is starfleet property just such massive blows that had me reeling uh and to be able to evoke that kind of reaction from the listener base without like gunfights or explosions i think it really highlights um how good star trek can be just with drama and and highlights the fact that like the Voyager writers themselves just missed the mark so many times trying to get watch. And this is not just Voyager, but I mean, just Star Trek across the board, like trying to hook people in with special effects fights, this and that when it's like all this other stuff's just been on the table. You just need to know how to work the crowd. I, I agree. Um, if we go, if, as we end this, we go back to the beginning, the frustration with, knowing that DS9 got 10 episodes to say goodbye and Voyager gets 90 minutes. And supposedly that imagined future at the beginning of the episode is enough to justify ending the episode with Voyagers just arriving on Earth. Right? It's it's not fair. It so, isn't. It's interesting that you bring up DS9 and how it got to have leave no no stone unturned. Like every plot line got wrapped up in that show. Every plotline for uh, every character. Yes, yes. Every single well. character got a got an ending, like solid. Yes. Okay. 
okay, I don't want to say too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I because you yeah. know, you know, I'm integrating Voyager back into DS9, so there yeah. are some things we're going to touch on later on. And that's not and, to say you can't continue to develop from there, but like that is a satisfactory ending for everyone involved. You know, like right. yeah, again, I'm not saying any of it because ultimately Peter and I are going to watch the show and review it as part of Egypt Please down the road if we still continue to do the show, which. Uh, all indicators so far say yes, but um, but Voyager never got that. It had to wrap it up all in one episode, and like you said, it just gets the, to Earth, it ends, and you see nothing. And you have taken that 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 seed, you have watered it with spite, direct from Michael Chabon's idiotic Picard <laughs> writing, and you have grown from it a beautiful plant of high quality entertainment. That we must commend all of our listeners uh, to immediately subscribe to, download, give positive reviews to, because you deserve all of it, Jonathan. It is amazing work, and we look forward to next episode. And if That's I have to, like, say. yeah, and I, you know, listen. If you have to, if if I have to, like, motivate you by threatening you with imprisonment, uh, I'm willing to do that for everyone. I I actually have some questions for you, though. I know you're trying to wrap it up, uh, but I've got a couple for you both. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, sure. the, you'll notice that in the last few episodes I'm using the pre-title sequence to offload other things into you know onto the story and I'm just wondering yeah. what's your take on that because Star Trek didn't do that but I'm doing that so you've got this intro at episode 4 of the galactic state of affairs and then episode 5 has something else and then episode 6 which no. the promo for each episode is not in episode 6 other than that first scene I, th- so I feel like it was necessary to do to a degree, but I prefer it when you do the like m- more feels like an, an episode pre-title sequence where it sets up what's going to happen rather than just be an exposition dump. I the, like the exposition the, yeah, like the episode five exposition dump was better because it was done as a like with characters and it's at Starfleet yes. Academy and all of that felt like more part of the episode whereas episode four was here's galactic news and it's like that's (laughs) not that's not the vibe you know i like it and i don't think that you should necessarily be limiting how you're presenting the story to a format that you know feels uh like a cloned uh, standard star trek episode and if there's information or things you want the listener aware of um rather than trying to build it in like with a goofy, needless conversation. You know, and we, we talk about this a lot, like Tom Paris has to be the dummy so people can explain things to him. Uh, right. Or in Enterprise, like Archer should know this shit already, but they're going to say, well, I don't know about this. And, and they have a, just just put the exposition at the front, get it out there. You don't have to be too cheeky or clever about it. Um, I mean, maybe you could have little bits here and there of, you know, someone sitting around at a cafe and, listening to a newscast and thinking about, but if it's not important enough to command a scene itself, then yeah, just toss it out as part of just a a pre-brief and don't feel like you're beholden to uh, the the old episode formats. Sure. Do you remember the flashback in episode three that Garen Ral has, where he's thinking about his family moving away from Bajor, going to Solosis three, that, that is a sort of no-no to do in writing. And, and I will have to re-edit that because that 
because all he's done basically is lie on his bed and it's the flashback that's giving you the sort of meat and I'll have to re-edit that. And yeah, but you tied that all in with like the emotion that's evoked from him putting that piece of jewelry on and the vivid history associated with like what that jewelry meant and the freedom he has now in putting it on. Uh, the arguments between his uh, his uh, father and his uncles. Like, I, I don't know why that would be a, a writing no-no, but as a casual listener, I'm sorry, as a non-super critical I mean, I am a super critical Star Trek fan, but like, I'm not a, a super proficient uh, literary uh, critic. Just as a Star Trek fan, and I think ultimately that you're, you're gearing this towards Star Trek fans, I thought it worked. I liked it. And, I mean, how else do you go back there and kind of, like, show the shit this guy's gone through and why he would have had such a vivid reaction to a holographic Cardassian uh, Mengele doctor uh, without kind of flesh the the runway was there to use and it didn't stand out as bad to me okay the but this is the difference because the flashback is something that i could write and, and put it into the story but the beginning of episode four where you've got the galactic stage i'm not going to dedicate scenes to general martok and the dominion getting uh sued by the federation so it has to be compacted into this sort of info dump and then i'm done with it and i can move on because I because I'm not J.R. Martin, as you said, I shouldn't be J.R.R. What is his name? George R. Martin. Sorry, I can't keep writing all these extra characters. So that so in some places I'm being very self critical. An info dump is required here, but the flashback isn't so and much. Also, you don't have visuals later. to like say, okay, this stuff's going on. People can pause the screen and read this stuff. Like you're missing a whole half of the story you're trying to tell. So yeah, just present it plain text in the beginning. Hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. So we are well, definitely like done now because we're. Yeah, that was my only question. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so get the fuck off this podcast and get back to work, Jonathan. You got good shit to make for us all, and I'm going we appreciate to re-edit. it. I'm going to continue editing the first chapter again because I need to finish it. No, and then I'll no, work on episode no. six. I I will I will notify I will notify the internet police immediately to arrest you. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, it will come soon. Episode six will come soon. I just really want to make sure it's really good. Okay. And, and, and I had a late and, stage idea and I've got to change it. And you'll be happy with it. Well, to be perfectly blunt with you, Jonathan, I've been happy with everything else you made. So I'll believe you for now. As we and say in English, again. in England, do you, do you want it done now or do you want it done right? <laughs> both. I'm American. I'd want both and I want them now. Of course you do. Of course you do. Silly me. But okay. seriously, thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. No uh, again, okay. everybody listen to uh, Voyager Season 8, and uh, you'll hear us again next week. Um, we'll actually be providing our uh, review of Star Trek uh, Generations that Peter and I did for our Patreon, uh, Patreon subscribers some months ago. We're going to send that out into the universe so everybody else can enjoy that. And then you'll hear us again uh, following that, reviewing Enterprise S- Season 2, Episode 1. Uh, and uh, Peter can go back to something he doesn't enjoy as much 